This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. As a wise man named John Bon Jovi once said, keep the faith, fans, because for the first time in nine tries in six seasons since the Vegas Golden Knights came into the National Hockey League, the Calgary Flames win at T-Mobile Arena. And tonight, they do it in style, led by their leader in goals and points, Tyler Toffoli, who adds two more goals and four more points to his totals. The Flames defeat the Golden Knights 7-2 to move to within three points of a Stanley Cup playoff spot. It was lucky sevens last night for the Calgary Flames in Las Vegas. Their first ever victory on the road in Las Vegas. Finishes off a two-game road trip with three of a a possible four points. And going back to their last six games now, just one game where the Calgary Flames have not earned a full two points. Or two games, I should say. The Arizona game and the Anaheim game. Just two games where they haven't earned those full two points. And as you heard Derek mention there, at the end of the call, it's got them within three points of the Winnipeg Jets. Still battling with the Nashville Predators, but within sight, perhaps, of that final Western Conference playoff spot. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. A Friday edition on this St. Patrick's Day. Outstanding production team with Cam and Taylor with us this afternoon. Lots to get to on the program. We'll chat with Peter Labardius in just moments. Breaking down the Flames and the Golden Knights from yesterday. We'll also chat with our pal Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 later this hour. And uh, take a look across the NHL standings after a busy night in the NHL. We'll get to all of that and more. We'll just kick things off like we always do. Head down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline. Say hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames. He is Peter Labardius, and he's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations. This should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles. You can visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, sir? My friend, the sun is shining. There is hope at the end of every rainbow and tunnel. I'm great. Good to hear, my man. Um, Your thoughts last night on uh, Calgary's first ever win in Vegas, 7-2 the final, uh, as they pick up a victory last night. Well, lots of different ways to go, Logan. It'll be interesting to see where our conversation goes today. Uh, The first place that I would go, and I still don't completely have the answer and hope to ask the question to Daryl himself tomorrow is the lineup moves, which I think more than anything, and I'm sure Daryl will take it in a different way tomorrow when I ask him, but, you know, there's been so much focus, and I understand why, about that this team doesn't score enough or doesn't get enough saves, and they are both true. But the numbers also tell me that this year they have scored on average three goals a game, but they've also given up three goals a game. And 
it's also been a team, I think you'd agree, Logan, and maybe you do and maybe you don't, but it's been a team that in many nights where they've outshot other teams, they have made a lot of big mistakes and might only give up 22 or 23 shots, but give up far more high-quality scoring chances and spend a lot of energy and time in their own zone in order to get to that point. So I think the whole lineup last night, because they're always built in part this way, and and it really, I thought, showed early. And I'm not saying I necessarily would have made the same moves myself, but it's not about me. It's about trying to understand, at least that's how I look at doing this, why coaches or why managers make the moves that they make. And I think Daryl, first of all, understood the magnitude of the game. He is always going to trust people first and give them a longer leash who have done it and been there before in the most difficult of situations. And by and large, I think the team went in with a real checking lineup and a real checking mentality. And when this team is a good checking team, and that what the hardest part, I think, sometimes to convince anyone, including sometimes myself, is there's a difference between checking and defending. You check everywhere on the ice to get it back. And really, the goal, the way I see hockey, is can you dictate to your opponent by virtue of you gain more quality around their net than you give up towards yours? And shots don't always tell that story. And with this team, I don't think they tell that story as much as they should. So last night... I think the lineup was built very much to give some energy, to put a lot of onus on veteran people to play the game the right way. And they did that. And they were a good checking team. And good checking, as much as it's about your own end, Logan, it starts in the other end. How you force turnovers. How you get pucks in behind people. How when you get the puck, can your forwards get to the net, get to the middle of the ice? Can you make plays coming out of your own zone? How do you stack up the neutral zone? Well, outside of about six or seven minutes last night, and you knew it was coming, where Vegas would get on a bit of a run, how do you handle that six or seven minutes when they're clearly better? And what do you do in the probably... 7 to 15 some nights when you are. And the Flames won all the battles. They won the special teams battle. They had outstanding center ice play from Lindholm and Backlund. Tyler Toffoli arguably at his best game of the year. Jacob was as solid as all get out. They were a really good team because they played the right way and to their identity. How big was that goal by Blake Coleman, 17-17 into the second period there, to give them that 3-2 lead hitting into the third, Lou? Massive. And, and for me, one of the two massive moments in the game. So 
this team, as you well know, Logan, has not always been able to stop those seven to ten minute runs at seven to ten. It can bleed into long stretches of time. That goal and how they handled things after the second goal in order to score that goal was the most important thing to me in the victory. And then what would come right behind it was you're on a power play at 3-2 in the third, and you turn a puck over. The last thing you want to do in that situation, when you have a chance to probably throw a knockout punch, is get punched in the mouth yourself. While Tyler Toffoli had two goals and two assists, I would make a really strong argument that the best work he did last night was on the backtrack on what was a Mm two-on-one, that he made a massive play in turning that from a game-changing moment back the other way. You score the power play goal. Those were the two most impactful times in the game for me. What did you, uh, Nazem Kadri gets put in a new spot last night, finishes with 12.35 of ice time. That is uh, third least on the team, uh, only ahead of Lucic and Trevor Lewis. Was this a message to Nazem Kadri from the coach that we need more from you down the stretch? Sure it is. Sure it is. And what the message was, a lot like the construction of the lineup, was your checking game isn't good enough. You're spending too much time in our own end of the rink. You're not tracking pucks properly. You're not getting pucks in to places to give us a chance to get them back. So he put Nazem with Trevor Lewis in particular, understanding you're facing a very deep, a very balanced team. That's what Vegas is. They're not loaded with superstars but they're balanced and they skate and they have a very competent and good defense. So that for me, when I saw that lineup come out in the warm-up yesterday, and then I saw the utilization of how it went, it said, you're not doing enough on the other side to warrant me putting you in positions where you're going to cost me on the other side. Adam Ruzichka played 15 more seconds than he did. And that's not a producing situation. That's a being a trustworthy player on the road where they get an easier chance to have the matchups against you. And that's why I think Daryl prepared his lineup for last night in part the way he did he knew he had to check and this team also always has to check to be effective and and further to that logan the other real observation is the only thing that i felt pretty strong about going in lineup wise Mm -hmm. is i i didn't think that you could necessarily trust the checking board work, how they played together. Kadri and Huberto, for me, it wasn't working. No. 
And I certainly wasn't going down that road on the road where I don't control the matchups. And Bruce Cassidy might all night, because teams have been doing it, have been looking for those guys when the Flames are on the road to match up against them and potentially take advantage. I think that's why he built the lineup the way he did. Tyler Toffoli is the star of the night last night. Four points. He reaches a new career high. The only thing that he hasn't set career high-wise yet this year, Lou, is in goals. And uh, based on the way he's going, it won't be far off before he does that this season. What for you has made him so effective all year long? Because we've talked so much about the inconsistencies of this group offensively, but a lot of that hasn't applied to him. Why is that, in your mind at least? His pride, how badly he wants to win, how much he wants to make an impact. At times, how he's heard throughout his whole career that he's not a first-line player. The fact that he's won Stanley Cups and would like to do it again. Everybody, every day in a team sport, wants to make an impact and he has not allowed all the noise all the hard stuff all the disappointment hold him back he's fought through all of it and said to his teammates i don't care about the noise i don't care about what people think he has gone out and he has controlled what he can control and that's being the best version of him. And he's gone through some things. Um, always had a bit of a chip on his shoulder, which has served him incredibly well. He showed you last night. He wasn't going to be satisfied with that team not winning that hockey game. And if they were to lose it, he wasn't going to look in the mirror last night or go in the bathroom on the plane and say, I could have been better. I, I think that's the driving force for him. I really do. Joining with the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960, Peter Labardius joins us every single day to kick off the program. We're trying all things Calgary Flames following a victory last night in Las Vegas, their first victory in Vegas since uh, the team became uh, the NHL 31st franchise back in 2017. 2018, and that's uh, a good monkey to have off of their back, Lou. Uh, your Pacific Division rival has dominated that series at home. I remember we talked about it heading into the game in February in Vegas, that they hadn't even had a lead in Vegas for most of their time in those previous seven games. Now that is off the docket next time they have to walk into Vegas. It sure is, and they'd love to do it again before the season is over. And Logan really the only thing that matters where Vegas is concerned is can you put another game like that on the table against them when you do control more of the matchups and you are at home and you are in a building where, frankly, you have not played many games the way you performed last night. That, to me, is a far bigger story than putting, you know, the Vegas curse behind you. But it's always good. Because even last night, you could see it for 10 minutes 
Vegas knew they weren't good. They knew they didn't have legs. They look like a team with very little energy coming back from the east off a five-game trip where they won their last four in a row. They didn't have it last night. And they still rallied enough to plant a seed of doubt. Flames didn't let them get to the end of the night going, no matter what those guys throw at us, we're going to win. That part for me matters and probably matters in the whole scheme of things going forward. Going from Vegas to Dallas here on Saturday, just the one game homestand. We talked about these lines and, you know, we've talked about using your lines in a way to make you best effective against the group that you're going up against. Lou, would you see a reason to change up much of the lineup heading into this game against Dallas based on the kind of opponent that Vegas was? In, in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. So when I go back to March the 6th and I think about the construction of that lineup and what we were talking about that night is the fact that the Flames needed more speed down the middle of the rink to deal with Dallas's four centers. And you had to do it again. That game was a road game. This is a home game. So now, Daryl gets to be more in charge of dictating at least when the situation is right. So it will be interesting to see if he goes right back there the same way. But I think you're in a different position in how you build your lineup depending on the team. And there are some similarities for sure. But against Dallas, they're big and strong on the walls. You have to be very aware of people like Haskinen coming from the back how they move in groups of five. And you need great center ice play. So I could see reasons to change. But based on the opponent, I can see reasons to stay. did want to ask you this as well, because a lot of people were... Uh, I don't know, quick to be upset by the fact that Walker Dewar and Jacob Pelche both found themselves out of the lineup last night. Did you have any problem with that, Lou? Did I have any problem with it? How would I answer that? I don't know, Logan, from my chair, maybe a little. Um, but I don't know. The best way I can answer that is I felt bad for Jacob probably more than Walker Dewar. But I guess, you know, if, if you look at it in a sense of probably the biggest overriding story for me was the utilization of Nazem Kadri and the fact that Adam Ruzicka was given an opportunity and played well enough where he actually had more probably energy, which is why he was put in, than than Nazem. Uh, Was I disappointed? I was disappointed for Jacob. 
I'm not disappointed for Walker because I think Walker's already won the most important battle. And the most important battle for Walker wasn't getting into the game last night. I think Walker has shown Daryl and this organization that he deserves every opportunity come next fall to be an everyday NHLer. And I think he's going to be. I think that, I think that, is how I look at the Walker Dewar situation more than whether he was in last night or not. And with Jacob, Jacob struggled without the puck for one of the first times ever in the game in Arizona. And was that price too big to pay? I can understand because that's what my heart said too. I'll be, let's put it this way, on the Pelche front, because I see them different. Logan, I really do. I see those two guys and getting in or getting out very different. I'll be interested to see how long Jacob kind of pays a little bit for having a tough night away from the puck. Fair enough. We'll uh, we'll monitor that situation heading into tomorrow's game in De- uh, in Calgary. I should say there's the one game homestand for the Calgary Flames Saturday night against the Dallas Stars before they head back out into the road next week. Uh, before we get out of here, Lou, we got some business to take care of on this Friday. Woo-hoo. We do it every single Friday. It's time for another edition of What Does Lou Say? It's brought to you by our good friends at Roost Chris Steakhouse. Uh, what does Lou say? Brought to you by Roost Chris Steakhouse. Now open Tuesday to Sunday. At 5 p.m., the perfect place to indulge before the game. Enjoy prime steak, broil to perfection, and serve sizzling on a 500-degree plate. It's very easy. All you do is head to sportsnet.ca slash 960. Head to the contest tab. Find what does Lou say. Ask Lou a question. If we answer it uh, like we are on this Friday, you can be the next winner of a $200 gift card to Bruce Chris Steakhouse and a pair of lower bowl tickets to an upcoming Flames game. Jeff is our winner today. He's got those yeah, uh, yeah. lower bowl tickets to see the Flames and the Stars tomorrow night and that gift card to Roost Chris oh Steakhouse. Uh, so, Lou, it's a bit I'm of... Gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take 30 seconds at the end yep. to share a little Roost Chris, okay? Perfect. So let's get to the question. All right. Awesome. Uh, a bit of a longer one for you, Lou, but uh, a good one, I thought, here uh, from okay. Jeff. Uh, Jeff to Lou. Hi, Lou. As I watch the Flames and Panthers stumble so far in 2023, I wonder how coincidental or not the relatively poor performances of these teams are. My question is, how much does the human aspect of a big trade really factor into the subpar performances of these teams? On the Calgary side, should it really take this long for clearly talented players like Huberto and Uyghur to get settled in? On the Florida side, I find it interesting that Kachuk is having a great statistical season, but the team around him doesn't seem to be playing up to expectation. Can that simply be chalked up to the locker room being impacted by the deletion of key people like Huberto and Uyghur? And should it really take a full season for talent to trump the settling in process? Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Jeff. That is a marvelous question. And I'll try to be as succinct as I can. For me, the situations when you talk about Matthew, McKenzie, and Jonathan are different. And the reason they're different to me is that, in a sense, coming off their best ever years in Florida, 
their general manager decided that they weren't good enough. So they were technically fired. Matthew made his decision based on what was best for him and gave Brad Treleving, and no matter what happens, Brad should be unbelievably um, applauded for taking what he was handed last summer and doing what he did. I don't think there's any situation where when people are fired, it isn't going to be harder to make the transition than when it was their choice. So I see that as a big difference. Where you tie it all together for me, Jeff, is this. Managers, bosses, everybody has to make hard decisions in order to give their companies, their stations, everybody the best chance to win. And they have owners that they have to deal with that can't be forgotten. I always think there is going to be incredible impact, as it was in San Jose, when the decision was made to let go of somebody like Joe Pavelski. Because if you let guys go that other guys love and admire and love to go to work with, regardless of points, numbers, career, season, money, that's going to have an impact. It would on every business. It would on every relationship. So, yes, do I think there's some correlation? And do I think it's been easier for Matthew to be statistically a good player? Yes. What I don't know, and I have no idea, I don't even have a real complete idea about him as a teammate while he was here. I just can judge a little bit by my eyes and what I see. And I, I've known Jonathan Huberto for a long time. Jonathan Huberto cares a lot. And he cares a lot about winning. And he cares a lot about making an impact. And everything I've seen from Mackenzie Weger, who I do not know anywhere near as well, have really spent no time with him whatsoever. But I'm going to guess there were some really hurt guys in Florida when those two guys left because what you know is what you know. And in a lot of cases I find sometimes we never know or appreciate what we have until we don't have it anymore. Jeff, uh, thanks for sending in that question. That's another edition of what does Lou say for our good friends at Bruce Chris steakhouse. You've got a $200 gift card coming your way and a pair of lower bowl tickets to the Flames and Stars tomorrow night at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Season's coming to an end. Only so many Fridays and home games left this year. So if you want to get in on this, sportsnet.ca slash 960, go to the contest tab, go to what does Lou say, get your question in for Peter before the season comes to an end. And Lou, you wanted to uh, to chat. I think you had a recent visit to our pals at Bruce Chris Steakhouse, hey? I, I, I did. And again, I don't need to tell people this, but... I was more than happy to uh, 
pay the bill when the night was over. Um, cause I think people probably think I just go there <laughs> and, and yes, do I go there? Do I go there and get looked after? And thanks to our great sales team and client dinners and all the stuff that I've enjoyed there. Yeah, for sure. I do. Um, but I benefit greatly from the relationship. And the thing that I love most about Tim Collins, um, Troy, Manny, who did such an unbelievable job serving my wife and I last Saturday is the food is incredible, but most importantly, when I leave Bruce Chris, I feel my wife feels anybody who's ever gone there feels like they matter. Not just about putting food in front of you. It's about spending some time. It's about handling things and their craft is absolute pros. And I love that part of Bruce Chris and Tim and his staff. Troy, for example, who waited on us has been a lifer over there, a lifer. And those are the people today I wanted to recognize and why I feel very proud to be associated in a very, very small way with Roos Chris, because I believe in the people and I believe in the service. And as Nancy said before we went, just tell them we're coming hungry, darling. Thank you, everybody at Roos Chris Steakhouse for uh, another edition of What Does Lou Stay? Lou, have yourself a great afternoon. We will hear you on Flames Warm Up tomorrow at the Saddle Dome ahead of the Flames and the Stars, pal. Logan, you're looking a wee bit young. <laughs> and I love that about you. <laughs> Take care, pal. Bye, buddy. Yeah, Peter Lavardius, uh, the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He joins us every single day to kick off the program. And he does so thanks to our good friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations. They should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Now offering air miles, reward miles. You can visit them at the Gemini Group. Let's check in with our pal Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver around the corner here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. There's some moving pieces this week, so I had to move our regular Tuesday chat with Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 over to today's program, but still very excited to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with our pal uh, from our sister station in Vancouver. Uh, Big happy Friday, man. How are you? Happy Friday, and I guess happy uh, St. Patrick's Day, too, to those who are partaking. Yes, uh, good for them. It should be a good word. I think we got a little outing at the uh, Roughnecks game planned around here. But, uh, there you go. So it should be good. should be good for us to hand out uh, a couple of uh, beers this weekend. But uh, talk to me about uh, life in Vancouver the last couple of days. Hasn't been any major drama other than, I guess, the Canucks temporarily forgetting what tanking meant and going on a... Uh, a pretty good run here that resulted in finally, I should say, ended last night uh, losing to Arizona. To be fair, I was going to say, are you kidding me? There's always drama, but uh, <laughs> if, if you, you're right, relative to scale of what we've seen this yes. season, it was uh, minor considering a five-game winning streak broke out. And and yeah, it was just kind of funny on the post-game show last night. Like We could see temperatures start to drop a little bit. I was like, oh, okay, sure, Quinn Hughes played 28 minutes, but it was a 3-2 regulation loss. And it's the thing we've been preaching. It's like you can't 
play your star players this much and not expect a little bit of slippage. And, you know, they weren't perfect last night. They looked a little fatigued. They weren't as sharp. And they had their chances to put the game away early. And they don't. And they uh, end up losing in regulation. And much to the appeal of many uh, fans because it was uh, welcomed last night. What was going right for the team during that five-game win streak? We haven't seen a lot of that in Vancouver. It's been a streaky team, but mostly on the losing end of things. What went well for them to win five in a row? Yeah, honestly, they just weren't making mistakes. And this has been such a mistake-filled, especially on the blue line. Like, they've made so many turnovers. And obviously, earlier in the year, JT Miller's uh, turnovers and giveaways were highly documented. But they just stopped making mistakes. They stopped chasing the game. And when you let it come to you and you stop making egregious turnovers, you just kind of waited for opportunities. And there was a couple of games, like the Ottawa game in particular, they win 5-2 in regulation. And a lot of the sentiment was, like we just waited for Ottawa to make mistakes, which is literally what teams have done coming into Rogers Arena time and time again. Uh, the Boston game in particular, they just kind of waited them out, waited them out, and you know the Canucks maybe stuck to it a bit more recent, better in that game, but just because how they transitioned under Tockett. But earlier in the year, it was just forcing plays, and teams would just get two on one after two on one, and over aggressive pinches when they a are bad decisions, but b not qualified like physically to pull it off. And you're just giving up odd man rushes against, and they've just stopped making mistakes. And maybe against LA, they you know pick up another win. I think that's going to be a much tougher competition with the way LA has been playing recently. But the the big thing is, and and we're talking about structure so much of what Rick has done is they just taken away the things that they were shooting themselves in the foot. And I have no problem with making mistakes, just don't make them forced or unforced mistakes. Former Canucks uh, coach Bruce Boudreau made headlines uh, the other day, speaking of the NHL Network, where he's uh, doing some media stuff, uh, asked about Elias, Elias Pettersson, saying Bick, he could absolutely see Pettersson being the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Is that a sentiment that's shared among many that watch this team on a daily basis, or is that something that's sort of come up in particular this year based on how well he's played during a tough season? Yeah, I think it's a two-horse race uh, between Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes last year was kind of lauded by some of the players as taking a bit of a leadership role and willing to use his voice a little bit more. Patterson, you know, traditionally is a bit quieter. Uh, you know, don't want to say he's a, more of a loner, but, you know, there, there's a lonely presence at times to Elias Patterson. So maybe it's been overlooked in the past of him being one of the leaders, but you look at how he has grown in his game. Like he struggled so much at the start of last year. And then since, Basically, mid-January onwards, he has been absolutely crushing it from last calendar year uh, to, to today. And when you see that natural growth, like we always talk about, like the leader doesn't need to be always someone that talks. It needs to be making the example. And the growth Elias Patterson has shown in 14 months here. And we expect more growth still to come, more consistency. And just as you get more comfortable as a you know, 24, 25-year-old human, uh, you're just generally going to become – and find your voice. And I think if that happens here in the next uh, six months, what that does for Elias Pedersen to gain confidence in who he is as a person, but also now to be able to put pressure upon other people to say, Hey, I'm, I'm the one setting this standard and this is what you have to try to achieve. Not, not to play like me, but become the best version of yourself. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of players moving forward. Uh, away from hockey, I see you guys uh, over at 650 did a uh, March Madness bracket pool uh, with some of your listeners out there. First of all, how is your bracket looking? Has it been 
uh, completely annihilated within the first 24 hours, or are you somehow still surviving? I, I woke up this morning, and I, I looked, and, and there was a lot of red. Uh, and so I, I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but uh, it's pretty cool to see uh, my, my nine seed that I had going to the Elite Eight uh, already out. Uh, no, I, I, think I'm do, I, I think I'm doing okay. I, my, my thing is just, just, like, maintain the Final Four. Right, yeah. like if, if you have the final four, you'll make up the points as you go along. My my final four is still intact uh, somehow. I, I used to be massive into college basketball, and then you know you, you start working more and all this sort of stuff, and it just falls by the wayside. Yeah, so I was gonna say, are you usually someone that fills out a bracket? Or are you just sort of a, a casual observer of March Madness? Where does it fit for you on the the pantheon of of yearly sporting events? Yeah, like we were talking about it on the show uh, yesterday, and someone asked, like, do you guys actually care about college basketball? And I don't know if, you know, in the late 2000s, uh, mid-2000s, like, honestly, I, I probably watched college basketball as much as I did hockey or, or soccer or something like that, which are in football, which are major ones for me. And, you know, it just, it's, it's slowly faded away. And, and now I just, like, open it up, and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll take a Spartan to beat a Wildcat, of course. Like, <laughs> who, who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of – I know for me, uh, I got into a couple – I've never – I've only usually filled out one bracket a year. Um, my second year of university with some buddies, we did a, a big pool, and uh, I, I didn't know enough. I still don't know enough about college basketball to be any good at it, but I, I went simply off of jersey rankings is how I picked teams. Huge. Um, I wound up winning the entire thing uh, with most uh, correct picks into the Final Four. So, I won, so I've never filled out a bracket since then, and I never will uh, because there's absolutely no chance in hell that I'll ever come that close to uh, – to winning one or actually trying. So I'm just never going to do it again. No, I had one good year, like a fantastic year. Where I picked like multiple upsets to go far. It was the year Steph Curry was in Davidson. The, okay. Yeah. The senior year, the junior year. Yep. Like I, I backed Davidson all season long. And I was like, all right, picking Davidson in the playoff or in the bracket. And I should have just stopped then. Cause it was never going to get any better than that. <laughs> That's what I did. I'm so happy. I did it. I still, hey, I still love it. I still love people. It happens every year. The first, you know, 24 hours, something happens and, Nobody possibly saw it coming, and now there's like four perfect brackets left in the world somewhere, and you wonder how those people got and, them, and then you like, just kind of go on from there. They're just guessing, too. Like, they're all just Princeton alums. You tell me people <laughs> were like sat there and said, oh, I think Princeton's going to take down Arizona, 100%. And while I'm at it, I'm also going to start looking at uh, other, like, upsets, and I'm going to get that. No, that's like they're just Princeton alums. They're just like, well, I have to pick Princeton because I can't go against them. That's all That's all that's happened. <laughs> it's pretty much that. I can't argue. That's exactly uh, how I see it, Pick. Uh, NFL free agency has been busy. Uh, starting uh, going back to Monday, we had uh, – News when the negotiation window opened up, it's continued ever since, and we're still sort of waiting for the biggest hat to drop. Rogers says, I'm willing to play for New York. I'm just waiting for these two teams to to figure it out. There seems to be some confusion here, and I like how you put it because you tweeted about this the other day, the fact that one of these teams thinks they have any leverage in this situation to me is just beyond ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, and to be honest, like I – think it lies with the Green Bay Packers, right? It's yes. not just like Aaron Rodgers has this expiring deal and they have to move off of it. Whatever little leverage there is, I do think it resides with the with, with the Packers because like the Jets are all in on this and they've already missed the boat on other quarterbacks. So unless they intend to somehow find someone in the draft, they're basically all in on this. And the way Aaron Rodgers' contract is set up, 
like the Green Bay Packers can basically wait this out till at the very least June 1st and then it in kicks the, the June 1st designations and all that sort of stuff. So they can wait till then. So he's not working out with Jets players in OTAs. And then after June 1st, you can just say, well, we'll we're comfortable waiting this out till September. How desperate are you? And the Jets are asking or are, are acting so desperate every single day. It's, some news story, it's like, we flew out to California, great meeting, and now we're signing his wide receivers. Awesome, awesome transactions. And there's just no and, – and the players are all tweeting about it. I, I just look at this and, and think this is going to end a long time from now. I, I, if I said July is when I expect this trade to go down, I, I think that might even be shortchanging it. And – uh, if you're the New York Jets, like you're just going to get more and more nervous as these days go along. And the New York Jets historically have not been an organization that uh, exercises patience and shows steely nerves. So uh, we'll see how they start to react uh, as this goes along. The key argument that I've heard in all of this from a Jets perspective or someone you know trying to find this from a Jets perspective as to why they shouldn't pay up anything for this is if the Packers are really asking for a first in exchange for for Aaron Rodgers, if you're the Jets, why don't you just take another first and go get Lamar Jackson and have a seemingly yeah. better situation for the next five to ten years rather than who knows really how long Aaron Rodgers is willing to commit to play in New York? Okay, so I like in theory, I totally agree with you, and and that makes sense. But there's there's a couple of caveats there. Like okay. one, are you going to give Lamar the fully guaranteed deal? that he seems to want. And it seems like all the owners in the league are like, well, no, we're not doing this. It, it was bizarre that five minutes after the non-exclusive tag was announced, every team was like, no, we're not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested. Mm. Yeah, clearly, it's not about the talent of the player. He's won an MVP. This is clearly about we're just not giving him a fully guaranteed deal. So if that's what Lamar wants, that's a strike against the New York Jets. But also, the Ravens reserve the right to match any bid that you're going to put in on Lamar Jackson. So how how guaranteed are you going to get him? If Lamar gets the deal that he thinks he's going to get, I imagine the Ravens just say, you know what? All right, we screwed up. Congratulations. You're not going anywhere. We still have our opportunity to keep you. And so the, the Ravens will just do that. So it does limit that option. But yeah, in theory, why not just pull that lever before you even get to uh, Aaron Rodgers? And that's one leverage point. But it, I mean, like you're not going to sign – and Nathaniel Hackett to coach up Lamar Jackson. You're not going to bring in Alan Lazard to play with Lamar Jackson. You're no. doing all these things to bring in Aaron Rodgers. Uh, aside from uh, the Rodgers situation, uh, do you have a favorite signing or trade that we've seen the last week or so in the NFL? Let me tell you about the backup offensive lineman, the Seahawks. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that uh, one. Honestly, I'm a little... Uh, like disappointed what we've seen from NFL free agency so far. Like it, it just hasn't felt as splashy this year. Um, like the trades beforehand, I guess maybe pick up a lot more, but it, it just doesn't feel like as like, Oh wow. Like this team is all in. Like we saw like Vaughn Miller last year, go to the bills and it, it was kind of just mind blowing. You're like, all right, here, like this is the bill's chance. Like they're, they're going for it. I, I, there hasn't really been a move that's really stuck out to me. That's the, the headline grabber. Like there's been some nice ones like Javon Hargrave going to the 49ers. They continue to boost up that defensive line. 
and you know with Bosa already there, it just, it just looks so scary. There's been some subtle good ones, but as far as like break the walls down as like this is going to change the landscape of, of a division, I, I don't know if we've seen that one yet. Is it because it's the quarterbacks that were moving last year in part two, and let's be honest, Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, Derek Carr don't move the needle as much as yeah, exactly. even say Russ moving to Denver last year did. Like, ask every fantasy owner that has Devontae Adams on their team how hyped they were to see the Jimmy Garoppolo sign in, in Vegas. They're all like, oh, how do I make this trade right now? I'll take anything. I'll, I'll take 2025 draft picks if you got them. They're, they're unexcited. No. And, like, this is one of the biggest free agent signings that we've seen uh, this year, that it was Jimmy Garoppolo, who, again, like, I, I think he, you know, gets knocked around a bit too much, but, you know, that's a a decent NFL quarterback, but if, if that's what's leading the way this, this year, uh, that's a bit puzzling. And like the Broncos spent all this money on Mike McGlinchey and uh, Ben powers. They're, they're trying to beef up their offensive line, but is, is that really drawing attention uh, to this free agent uh, window? I, I don't know what that is like the marquee left tackle uh, on the, on, on the board was um, Orlando Brown. And he, he signed like a cut rate to go to Cincinnati. Yeah, there really wasn't that. I think you're right. There's been more quantity than maybe quality this time when mm-hmm. it comes to, to NFL free agency. Don't get me wrong. There's big moves. Like I think Darren Waller's a, a big trade mm-hmm. um, that could have some impact. But I mean, okay, Baker right. Baker Mayfield is in is in Tampa yeah. now. Con- congratulate. Like it just doesn't do anything for me. I'm. I, I guess Sam Darnold in San Fran is an interesting quarterback room. I guess that's you know kind of where we're at right now. There's a bunch of interesting moves, and you have to say it in that tone where it's like someone just told you a non-interesting fact at a cocktail party, and you got to go interesting. Oh, yeah. And it like Sam Darnold's a great one, right? It's like, hey, that could be a reclamation project for Kyle Shanahan. And honestly, like the Seahawks signing Draymond Jones, like that's a nice fit, and it's interesting. But how many people are rushing to Google Draymond Jones right now, right? It's 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 a bunch of nice fits that are practical football moves. But the the break the bank style moves that really get people to, to log in and look at all I don't I don't think we've seen that this this free agency season. Well, well, yeah, and the other one like yeah that's a marquee player, but he goes for a third round pick because he's had injury issues and, yeah. and you, you get traded for a third round pick because there's not a lot of rely, reliability that you're going to stay healthy. Yeah, and let's be honest. I mean, the the Draymond Jones for hardcore NFL fans, if you were a fan of the Broncos or you're a fan of the Seahawks, that'll move the needle for you because I think that is a a premier type move, but let's just be mm-hmm. honest, a D line, a defensive tackle, especially, you know, signing that kind of contract, it's just not as mass appeal as a star quarterback or wide receiver. And those are the moves that really get I don't I don't think people really care at this point. I don't think where Odell Beckham Jr. winds up signing. Like there just wasn't those guys on the calendar yeah. or on the market this year for twenty twenty three to be as exciting as it was Last year, we're not talking about Hall of Fame, but we're talking about good players. No one, no one here is going to the Hall of Fame that's moved so far, at least not that I can think of. And it's it's a bit bizarre that Odell is like tweeting videos of him running routes, and it's like, hey, I'm still working my way back. Like you wanted to get signed in October, and you got injured 14 months ago. Yeah, it's like if he's still working his way back at his age, and I hate doing the like, oh, this 29 year old player is so old. He's he's Turning 30, you'll turn 31 next year. But like, I'd be like, that's buyer beware if a guy is 14 months past that injury, still trying to work his way back, and is going to be turning 31 mid season. Like, I, I'm not convinced we're going to see Odell Beckham sign here recent soon. 
No, and it kind of makes you wonder what he was trying to pull with the Cowboys last year yeah. and trying to get him on a on a multi-year deal. And it's like, dude, you weren't even anywhere close to touching the field. And you were all about them signing to you for this year and into next year. I'm like, ah, I don't know how convinced you really are that you're you're back where you need to be or even back to NFL standards. It's That's kind of a situation that I think is buyer beware at best. I, I get it, man. Secure the bank if you can get it. Oh, you're, for sure. You're, you're Odell Beckham. Like, you have some cachet with your name. Yep. And if you can get a contract, do it. But, yeah, like, it, clearly he wasn't going to be able to play last year. And he went on this huge free agency tour. And it was clear that he wasn't going to be able to play. Uh, last NFL one for you. The running back market has uh, soured this a bit. But the, the big story heading into the week was Austin Eckler uh, seeking a trade from the Chargers. Is there a spot in your mind that makes sense for Austin Eckler outside of L.A.? I, I really don't see one, right? And and like Dalvin Cook is trying to uh, be out there and, and, and get a new contract as well or, or find a new spot too. So that complicates it. I, I just, I hate that we've gotten this far on the running back thing because they carry the ball so much and, and they should get paid a certain amount, but there's just too many bodies. And now we're like, we're swinging it so far. The guys can even get moved that are, you know, can score 20 touchdowns. That should matter a little bit at least, but... I just don't see a destination because it's just cheaper for a team to go out and say, Hey, like Jamal Williams is there. We'll, we'll sign him. Um, David Montgomery's available or just Ezekiel Elliott's available. If we just need someone to play, you know, 14 snaps a game, like we'd rather just invest in Ezekiel Elliott. He can pass block. He can win short yardage. We don't need to overcommit to uh, Austin Eckler, not to mention like there's another wave of draft, uh, draft eligible players coming in uh, with, with seems to be a decent running back class. But I think he just goes back to the Chargers. Dalvin Cook goes back to the Minnesota Vikings. And it's such a fun position. And I hate that it's like we're, we're at this stage where nobody just cares about running backs. Yeah, it's it was tough. And like I follow that team uh, closely. And I just look at the Eckler turns 29 in May. Mm -hmm. I, I think he just overplayed his hand. And look, it's great that he scored all these touchdowns, but his yards per carry are not where they want to be. And now that's why your offensive coordinator in part got fired last year. But at the same time, I just don't know where where the leverage came from. I, I get you always want to be paid uh, mm -hmm. as much as you think you're worth, but uh, whether that's in football or in, you know, day-to-day -day lives like you and me go big, it just doesn't always work that way. And, and like the teams that make sense for them, like schematically, just don't make sense for where they are at to acquire like a age 29 running back. And, no. and that's the problem. It's like your market is going to be one to two teams and how aggressive do they actually want to do that when, as we mentioned, like Dalvin Cook's available, Ezekiel Elliott, like other bodies are just available. I, I, and it, it, man, that's a tough reality for running backs right now. I, if I'm a running back, I think I'm just signing one-year deals and just trying to max out the money. Yeah, it kind of feels like that's the the best way to go. And uh, even looking at the market now, there's just there's not much left out there if you're a team looking for a running back and you're going to take a chance on a guy. I I think I just as soon look towards uh, the draft in a couple of months' time and and see what's out there and cheaper options. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting a couple weeks here as these free agents continue to uh, to sort of find their new homes in a little bit here. But, Bick, as always, appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, being flexible with us this week, man. We'll check with you again next week, hey? Talk soon. Take care. Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650, our sister station in Vancouver, joins us every single week here on Sportsnet Today. He does a Canucks post-game show with Sadie Shaw and does the People's Show uh, as well on Sportsnet 650, always uh, giving us some time down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline that puts a wrap on hour one hour two around the corner will bring uh, some calgary flames reaction from their win last night in las vegas how we feeling 
Now the playoff push gets a little bit closer thanks to a uh, road trip that sees the Flames pick up three or four points. And uh, we'll chime in with our producers, Cam and Taylor, on some of our favorite and least favorite St. Patrick's Day traditions. That's coming up a little bit later on here on Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.